This is The Last Recon, and you're listening to Rhythm and Pixels. When I need to get through a tough workday, nothing helps me better than Rob's stoic technical prowess and Purnell's velvety smooth baritone voice. Rhythm and Pixels is not just for fun, it's also for work. Ready? Hello, and welcome to Rhythm and Pixels, a video game music podcast. Episode World 23, episode number six 23-6 uh and we're your hosts my name is rob nichols and i'm pernell oh it's actually pernell this week i love it and every every week we hang out and listen to great video game music from all consoles and all generations and we 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 pick a, a strange topic or or a normal topic and we just dive right into it and sometimes we have no topic and we just kind of hang out and talk um, and that's what we do. Uh, and if you are a member of our Patreon, then every week you get access to a little pre-show, a prequel episode, if you will, um, of just me and Pernell catching up, hanging out, talking, because especially now, since we, I mean, we used to hang out like two, three times a week in person uh, out, outside like, of the show. And now it's like <laughs> a little different. So that's honestly kind of why, why the, a lot of parts, why the pre-show has gotten so much better. Like we just did one. It was like yeah. an hour long. <laughs> yeah, it was almost an hour long. So I hope you enjoy it. It was, uh, I don't know. I just didn't want to stop. It was pretty important. We were talking about some real stuff. And I think that's what the, pre, the, I, the prequels for. Like I like this. This show is good. It's, it's a little real. It's more fun. It's just kind of hanging out. And, and it's then, awesome in that regard. And the prequel like is like, no, this is the real stuff. This is what's on my mind. You know, that's. It's kind of cool, too, because I feel like uh, this is going to sound goofy, but uh, I like to think that we aren't necessarily just like these podcast personalities. We're people who like games. Yeah, we're and people. So so let up. Like, like leave us alone on Twitter, okay? We're just oh, we're people, it. just like you. <laughs> oh, stop it. Not that. <laughs> I'm joking. Just, I'm never on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> it's just more like... We uh we we just we're just ourselves like we're just genuine people we're not curated or anything like yeah. that yeah um so it's a matter of like hey if you want to talk mm. talk to us if you want here's what we think here's who yeah. we are as human beings and yeah that's cool I was telling Christy about this I was like I don't like we have a lot of we do have a lot of listeners but like I don't ever think of myself as like a personality but I also don't think of myself as very interesting <laughs> but yeah, we're I, just human. But I, I think it goes to show that we don't we don't like disguise who we are on this show. I mean, there's definitely like a front facing thing. We're not like, oh my god, my life's terrible. Uh, uh, the things are bad, and but like we don't try to hide that so much. But we don't you know overtly talk about it so much either. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so because the prequel show is so long, let's dive into the today's topic. The today's topic is a pretty recent one that I think we we discussed. It is beat 'em ups then and now, the past and the present. Maybe not. I wish it were the future, but we don't have technology for that yet. Well, I'm happy that there is a future for beat 'em ups. Um, I felt I feel like beat 'em ups was a genre that was really firmly in the '90s. You know, it was like an arcade thing. It was it, it brought kids together. It was very simple to play, but it was fun. Yeah, but it wasn't super challenging. It wasn't super complicated. I feel like we're in this renaissance. You know, this past 10, 20 years of beat 'em ups have been amazing. Oh, yeah. I think a large part of it starts with kind of what you said, because like you said, um, a lot of it stemmed from was like a 90s thing. Mm-hmm. I think part of that was because of arcade. Beat-em-ups were a very easy thing to craft, to place in an arcade, to steal your money. Yeah. And, and then he- a lot of times those beat-em-ups became arcade ports, or sorry, console ports yes. from the arcade, which is where a lot of them came from. Mm-hmm. So when arcades fizzled out, 
So, too, did a lot of a desire to build beat-em-up games. Um, but, like you said, in the last, like, say, like 10 or so years, there have been a number of companies that have been like, you know, we really miss beat-em-ups. Yeah. Let's, Let's bring, bring that fad back. Either we're going to bring back the uh, the franchise, or we're just going to make a new style game that we used to love when we were kids. But, they, but they're bringing back with, because they're not in the arcades anymore, they're bringing it back with mechanics that you would never find in the arcades in the 90s. Like, you can block, you know? Or you can level up your character to do this or that. I mean, Dungeons & Dragons or whatever aside. Um, like, these are things that would extend your game to give it more depth. Where if you were in the arcade as a kid in the 90s, they just wanted your money. They don't care about any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. All, you, all you, all they wanted to do was like, this is bright and shiny. This boss looks super cool. We want to entice you to beat it, to spend all your money beating it, so that you could see what's next. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and usually, it was really cool. Like I, I, in my mind, I keep thinking like Ninja Turtles, uh, The Simpsons. Like those were really cool as a kid. Like and really there was that like Knights of the Round Table game. Oh yeah, and on SNK they had um, uh, Sengoku. That was so cool. I mean, I loved and- all those. And I still think yeah. probably my favorite, if I really laid it down as in like, no, not referring to like licenses or anything, just the game. Mm. Um, I would say, I feel like the D&D uh, Realms of the Mistara games, that was probably the best of the bunch. Yeah, because that was when really you could cool. actually beat dudes up, you can level up, you go to the store and buy stuff. Like, like healing, it wasn't like outright like new skills, but you could buy like healing items and potions. And it was just this cool concept to see in an arcade where it's like, wait a minute, I can progress and actually use money to do things while playing the game. It's, yeah. It's, I love it. Yeah, it just added added more, something more that you would never have had during those times because the, 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 whole, the whole industry has changed now. And I feel like it's given us more opportunity, developers more, more opportunity to be creative. Mm-hmm. And um, although I would say on the mobile and handheld like marketplace, it's still probably trying to get quarters in the way of uh, microtransactions. Oh yeah, <laughs> but you don't see a lot of beat 'em ups there, so we're not going to talk about that. Um, but we're going to go. We're going to talk about past and the present. I've cho- I chose a ton of music for today's episode because I chose a past and a present for different franchises. Um, and you went kind of like a, a linear. Right. Yes, and I chose exactly four tracks. So in the event that like <laughs> we double step on the same game or I've something, Rob's gonna be like, "Got it, double I got dip." Tons of music. So I'm gonna start kind of close to the present here. This is for the Nintendo 3DS. This is River City Rival Showdown, um, and this is the theme of Double Dragons. So River City, River City Rival Showdowns um, was kind of like a, a, a Kunio Kun remake on the 3DS. And Purnell is—he's looking for the game. He's looking. He's picking it up off the shelf. He's coming I back. I'm going to check for it. Keep talking. <laughs> I think I have it. No, no, this is great. This is good. This is good podcasting. All right, he's looking around. He's—he's a—he's uh, on the top shelf. He's pulled out a a, a a cartridge. He's pulled out. Okay. Oh no. Oh no. Things are falling down. Oh no. Oh no. He's covered in amiibos. I don't think he's getting back up. Anyway, this is Double Dragons. This is actually the theme from the original Double Dragon on the NES, which is on River City Rival Showdown for the Nintendo 3DS.
And we're back. You're listening to the theme of Double Dragons from the game River City Rival Showdown for the oh, Nintendo God, I, 3DS. Oh. Pernell is still I looking. <laughs> he, he came back there. for a minute. But, uh, I, I, anyway, okay, are you back? There we go. Did you, did you find it? was it? driving me crazy, I swear. Did you find it's it? It's like, I know I own that game. Um, okay, so, anyway, this is uh, River City Rivals. Um, sorry, River City Rivals Showdown for the Nintendo 3DS. Um, this is the theme of Double Dragon that's originally composed by Kazunaka Yamane, but the arranger is unknown. I don't know the, um, the composer or the arrangers on the soundtrack. But I, I love the original Double Dragon theme song. It's so, so hardcore 80s like action movie. And yes. it's, it's wonderful. Um, it's it's a, always it's interesting to me song. because they, they've used that theme across mm. the Kunio Kun franchise too. Like, I remember. Yeah. Um, the first River City Ransom game even had uh, had it. That's something used for the Dragon Twins when you fought them in the high school. They yeah, played the Double yeah. Dragons theme, and people were like, "Oh my god, I know that!" <laughs> but like, I, I I guess they were the same developer back then. Yes, it just didn't come across because in America they were published by two different companies. Right, right. The the, the companies, a lot of developers were only able to publish so many titles in North America. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess it was just uh, part of licensing, or I don't know. I, I'm not as educated on that part of the business or that industry, but because of that, Konami can only release release so many titles, and so they they had that company called Ultra, and Ultra published games in America by the same developers, and so uh, Technos, I believe, is the ones who did Kunio Kun, or yeah, Technos Japan, Technos Japan, um, and so they released a whole bunch of stuff together into America, but they. Instead of calling it like Kunio Kun volleyball or, or or dodgeball, you know, we just called it Super Spike dodgeball or whatever, extreme dodgeball because you know Americans want things cool and extreme. And then Double Dragon in yeah. America was published by Trade West. That's right, Trade West. Yeah, yeah. Um, but man, the uh, the drum beat on this thing—it's—it's it's so much like I feel like it's got more pep. You know, it's more—it's like a faster tempo. It's Allegro, Pernell. Allegro. <laughs> Allegro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think it. I think it's interesting that over the years, I mean, dr- the original Double Dragon came out in like '87 or so. Oh God, have you and, have you uh, played the original arcade Double Dragon? Recently? I didn't like that one to oh, be honest with so you. So slow, it's so slow. The the NES version got it right. I feel like the arcade version just wasn't one hundred percent. But like uh, that theme premiered in that game, and it held up. Like whenever it's using a cameo appearance, heck, uh, what was the game I recently reviewed? Uh, Co-Shifters on the Xbox One and PS4 um, was done by a company whose name I'm not remembering, but it's a bu- Arc System Works. Arc System Works, and they, yeah, right, right. And they did a lot of cameo characters, like River City characters, like oh, drag cool. characters. And when you play as Jimmy Lee, this theme plays while he's on the screen. It's like, oh, yeah, the Double Dragon thing. It feels good. This music feels good. You can't deny it. This music feels good. It made me use them in my collective team of members because I wanted to break that theme out when I was bashing, you know, nice. the heads of viruses. Oh man, this is so it's so good. I mean, I love this, but again, we got we got a lot of music to listen to. Uh, we can't just stick around in the, in the River City world. So we'll say first of all, like River City, I mean, was on the, it was an earlier NES game. And it was a beat 'em up for sure, but it incorporated so many other elements like RPG elements, um, exploration elements. So it really kind of bucked that trend of what a beat 'em up game could be, mm-hmm. um, and 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 it was a lot of fun. I think that's why a lot of people remember it so fondly because as a kid, it was it was so different from anything else that we played, and it's so Japanese. 
I you mean, would go to the mall and buy yeah. food with your coins you got from beating up, oh. you, know, you know, thug elements in the in the back of the schoolyard. Yeah, yeah. You level up your moves. You get stronger. You get faster. It's it's very very cool. So definitely wanted to include something from the River City world. So okay, Pranav, what's your first track? Funny thing is, we both ended up doing that because my first track comes from the game Renegade, and the track title is Mission One One, and the composer is Kazuo Sawa. Back. You are listening to Mission 1-1 from the game Renegade on the NES, composed by Kazuo Sawa. So this game released in America in 1987, mm. uh, in Japan prior to that, under a different name, however. This game was originally, believe it or not, the very first Kunio-kun game to ever be released. Mm. But in America, they didn't think it quite would mesh up, so they decided to call it Renegade and give us that whole... You know, gang beatdown motif that we became fond of due to films like The Warriors and like a number of other 80s films were clearly uh, eluding me, but The Warriors is like the most famous the one. The Warriors one. Streets of Fire, I think, is like one of the biggest, like over the top, like 80s, like street gang show, like movie that I think people people definitely reference as being one of the big influences of these weird Japanese, like fighting street gang type games. And here's the beauty of this game, mm. though. This is actually, I didn't even realize this until I started digging. Because I was trying to remember personally, what was the first beat-em-up game I've ever played? And a lot of people will say Double Dragon, or River City Ransom, or Final Fight. Mm. This was my first beat-em-up game. It turns out that while we have had games like Kung Fu on the NES or whatever, this is literally the very first beat-em-up game to employ the elements that we have come to acknowledge as being part of the beat-em-up genre. So... This is the very first one where you could go up and down, left and right. Um, yeah, kind of like very... a depth depth to the, uh, the to the play field. Yeah. Yep. This is the very first one where we could actually grab guys and knee them and throw them. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. Like so, that, that's a really interesting thing that um, that I don't think a lot of the earlier beat 'em up games would do at all. Uh, getting close to like grab and throw, um, which is something from like the Double Dragon series, Double Dragon Two especially, which is like. Really fun to do. <laughs> it feels yeah, really that, good. Yeah, that knee him in the groin yeah. and put him over your shoulder. Yeah. Yep. This is the first game to employ that. Now, like um, uh, karate or kung fu or whatever. Like I don't like when we think about like what defines a beat 'em up game. For me, it has to be um, that kind of three dimensional, like two D, but in a three D field. You know, that kind of depth of the field, and it also has to be where you don't just hit a button and knock a guy out in one shot. There has to be some kind of combo. You know. Even if it's just mashing the same punch button, there has to be some kind of life bar to all the enemies that you're fighting. Like that, that, game, That's what works for me. And I missed that, because this game, I actually did play it again for nostalgia's sake, 
And uh, this one, it was too early to have life bars, though your main character had a life bar, and it would refill every time you go to a new scene. So there was no healing items, it was just you beat a scene, your health comes back. But uh, the one thing I definitely wasn't fond of in this game, which I'm glad was fixed in like subsequent evol- you know, evolutions of the genre, is that uh, you couldn't determine what direction you were facing. So hmm. NES controllers had two buttons, A and B, and uh, one button was the punch button, the other button was the kick button. You kick behind, punch forward, and it was dependent on the direction you were facing. Hmm. However, you had no control over that. Instead, the game would determine what direction to make you face based on the predominant number of enemies on that side of your character. That's wild. I mean, that's that's like that's like them still trying to figure out how games are are, are going to feel good when you play them. Like the original like Street Fighter 1 where you press left, you go left, you press right, you go right. But then if you that's only if your player is on the left. If your player is on the right side of the screen, your enemies on the left, left goes right and right goes left. It it's- makes it's like pulling. It's it, it's crazy. Like to me, that's wild. Like <laughs> that is so unintuitive you, that the game is suddenly trying to like fight your brain. You know, it definitely makes you think about it in a way that they were like, what were they thinking when they yeah. were trying to design it? Because back then they were looking at that like this makes total sense. Let's <laughs> go with this. Yeah, right. And it was even more frustrating because the kick had more reach than the punch. So there were dudes with like melee weapons. You're like, man, I need to kick that guy because I can't reach him with my fist. But then your guy would just turn around because more guys on the other <laughs> side. You're like, no, no, punch him, kick him, and you take a stick to the face. Yeah, it's a, it was a trip, but yeah. the music is still great. It's still great. It's, still yeah, great. it's very like, it's very, it's it's jaunty. It's very happy. It's very rockabilly, um, which I think it fits that aesthetic. But at the same time, it's so happy for being in such a violent or you know violent in quotes game. Well, I mean, yeah, remember yeah. the original version of it? This was like this was high school kids, yeah, brawling it out for high school problems. <laughs> we were just talking about the uh, cyborg uh, teachers um, in uh, class of '99, the classic action movie from the '80s. <laughs> uh, Cody Lamb, <laughs> Sasha. Oh God, what's his last name? I can't remember. Sasha. I was gonna say Sasha Baron Cohen. But that's <laughs> not right. That's not it. Um, okay. Sasha Mitchell. Mitchell. That's what it is. Um, and we'll never speak of them again. So the the uh, <laughs> let, let, let's 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 we're gonna shoot forward into the into the world of the 16-bit generation here. We were just also talking about earlier about how the Streets of Rage 3 soundtrack um, is divisive, you know. And I have to agree that a lot of the music is a little not 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 inaccessible, but it's a little challenging to the ears and a little harsh. But right. but a lot of it is super duper cool, and I really enjoy it. We're going to listen to from uh, Streets of Rage 3. This is Happy Paradise for the Sega Genesis composed by Yuso Koshiro. Thank you. 
And we're back. You're listening to the track Happy Paradise for stage 4-1 from the game Streets of Rage Part 3 for the Sega Genesis, composed by Yusuke Koshiro. And I, I chose this uh, mainly because I chose two tracks, one from Streets of Rage 3 and one from Streets of Rage 4, um, because I feel like some of the music from Streets of Rage 3 is a little out there. It's a little funky. But yep. something that had more kind of a melody and drumbeat carrying it through... And then I chose a track from Streets of Rage 4 that was like wild, like super, strip, like Streets of Rage 3 style wild, um, that kind of like sounded similar to Streets of Rage 3. So I wanted yeah. to kind of fit those two things together, but also show that like, hey, this crazy stuff has some really interesting things going on if you just listen really closely. I feel like honestly, Streets of Rage 3 um, did some evolution elements. This ties into like the track, the track I'm going to pick next too, which is coincidental, but. Um, <laughs> I feel like Streets of Rage 3 did some things that were semi-new mm-hmm. to the genre at the time in a way that a lot of people weren't too fond of. One of those things, of course, was the music, because this was Yuzo Koshiro saying, you know, I've done this stuff before, this dancey stuff, which is pretty much all of it, Streets of Rage 2. Um, I've done dancey stuff, but I want to go on a limb and you know try to innovate a bit, see what I can really do with this yeah, sound innovate. shit. Definitely innovate, yeah. And while I do feel like a lot of people back then, myself included, wasn't the most fond of the OST, I think it has grown on ears over the years. And while there are still a number of people who just can't stand this OST, like my buddy Anthony, he will trash this track, <laughs> this OST as a whole, whenever he can. Yeah, I think, uh, uh, there's a lot. There's a lot that's tough. There's a lot that's but, not, not, I would say, it's, for me, not enjoyable. And I understand what he's talking I mean, like, it was definitely, like I said, it was an experiment. But I do think more people than... When more people appreciate it now than they did back when it originally released, um, I do feel it's kind of a slight that Streets of Rage 4 did not include the Streets of Rage 3 OST, despite including the tracks from 1 and 2. Yeah, well, <laughs> but that's just me. It's a little telling. I mean, the the, the I remember reading a lot about how um, uh, Motohiro, oh, my, oh, what's his name? I wrote it down. Motohiro Kawashima and Yuzo Koshiro uh, worked on the Streets of, Thra- Streets of Rage 3 music. I mean, they still they still composed almost everything on the PC-98. Uh, uh, no, I'm sorry, the PC-88 um, uh, uh, computer system. But Yusuke Koshiro had developed a lot of interesting musical creation tools to, to generate like random melodies and random notes within mm-hmm. certain uh, chords. And then he would take those random melodies and then loop them and piece them together into other pieces of music. So he was doing like generative music, which is very forward thinking, but in, in, in turn, it creates this kind of really interesting experimental electronic music. And you think about this time in the 90s, like electronic music was, was becoming more, um, more mainstream. And so people were really pushing the, the limits and the boundaries of what they could do. And he was just, I feel like Yusuke Koshiro was always just echoing what he was hearing in the clubs, you know, what he was hearing in modern dance music, especially in, like in the UK. Um, so, and, and I feel like that all that all fits together with that theme. And hey, you got to admit, yeah. though, while people may not be so fond of this OST in particular, the fact that he could go through the hassle of trying to compose it. Yeah, it's, it's good. This is this is why he's so such a great. It's because he was willing to take those chances and say, I can do this. Let's see if we can make this work instead of being like, because let's be real. He could have just said, I'm going to do Streets of Rage 2 again. Yeah. And he they'll love used, it. Like, the same themes and like kind of went with it, you know? Now, yeah. granted, like some of those, like this one, that drum beat kicks in. 
that is it is so much based on it like that is clearly like some of the stuff you learned from the past titles but mm-hmm. it sounds so different uh, so, so experimental um in fact there's a whole there's a there's a there's an episode there's a there's a stage in the game where the music is music from shinobi um i think shinobi shinobi played, reverse yeah in reverse and it's just the it's the track just played backwards like that's crazy like and it's a great sound in the game so when you're fighting that stupid cloning ninja guy yeah like they were like why not like why not check this out uh, that reminds me i'm at i'm, at, I'm, t- I'm in the in the end game of uh bloodstained ritual of the night i thought you finished that for some I'm, reason. I'm really close I, I i did sort of beat it where like i killed the last boss but i still got a game over because i didn't kill him the right way which just makes oh, me true ending really angry <laughs> but no I, I finally unlocked like one of the, the final areas and like there's these uh, ninjas that pop up and they and they can invert the stage upside down too. Ooh. It's challenging. It's I'm like I gotta play to that now. That reminds me of um it's good. Who's the game it's really um, good. Castlevania Bloodlines had a level like that yeah. where you can get inverted and I love that stage so much. Yeah, this thing has a lot of callbacks and stuff like I feel like this game, like they've they're picking out like some of the best things of all of these Castlevania games and putting them together. So aside from the glitches, I'm gonna beat this game. The music is Every time I get to a new like area and the music starts, I'm like, I get pumped, you know. I need to boot my copy back up. Yeah. Believe it or not, the thing that no, stopped finish me from control, playing it finish was control. A- Control's so good. I will. <laughs> so basically, seriously, at this point, Control and Trails of Cold Steel are like my life right yeah, now. They should be, so, and they should be. Every review game I get is like, have I played it enough to give it a decent review? Yes. Is it good? Doesn't matter. Can't play it anymore. <laughs> back to the back to the loop. Oh, we gotta talk about Control soon. Uh, but anyway, what's your uh, what's your next track? All right, so my next track in the line of evolution, it made sense to go with this. Despite me personally having never played it, I can still use this as a stopping point for dialogue. So this comes from the game, funny enough, based on what we were talking about earlier, the Bouncer. Uh, oh, um, really? You picked from the Bouncer? Yes, I did. Oh, so I talked about uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme movies on a prequel episode, and we watched, um, he released a movie called The Bouncer in 2019. And I was like, "Oh, I look forward to bringing this up later." <laughs> it's full circle. Oh um, man, this 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 game! I almost said some nasty things just now. Go ahead. <laughs> this, this is the Syad Barzad theme from the game The Bouncer, composed by Noriko Matsueda and Takahito Iguchi.
Welcome back. You were listening to the Scion Barzad theme from the game The Bouncer on the PS2, composed by Noriko Matsueda and Takahito Iguchi. Mm. So, why the heck would Pernell pick a track from The Bouncer? Why? Well, why, why? well first of all, the soundtrack's good. The soundtrack oh, is very good. Good, good, good. Unfortunately, the game itself <laughs> did not fare as well. Some would call it a, a unappreciated hit or like a cult classic, but at the time, for sure, it kind of got panned. Yeah. But let's be honest here. This was them taking a chance because this was a period in time where the beat 'em up genre was on the verge of evolution. <clears throat> People were trying to figure out hmm. how to change this genre up for the better and move it up with modern times. Because as we discussed earlier, early beat 'em ups were more so designed to be very simple with the idea being to eat quarters and just kind of give you a simple ways of progression from left to right. Hmm without lots of complications. Um, but then we got to the realm of 3D games, starting with like Battle Arena Tatsujin. Toshinden. I love how I said Tatsujin. <laughs> Battle Arena to Toshinden. Toshinden. And also, well, um, uh, I forget what it was called originally, but Die Hard in the arcade. Yeah, Die Hard Arcade. Yeah. Now, Toshinden, don't get me wrong, that was a, that was a fighting game, not a beat-em-up, but I was just thinking about it in perspective of saying like a, we were moving it towards a 3D space. Yes. So even though... 2D games would still work. Companies were trying to think, what can we do to bring these into 3D? So we had games like you mentioned, Die Hard Arcade. We had Fighting Force by Eidos. Um, but then Square wanted to go above and beyond because Square was known for making cinematic masterpiece games, mm-hmm. especially during this era after yeah, riding the high of Final Fantasy VII right, and yeah. VIII. During this era, um, it was all about Final Fantasy. So they were they were known for RPGs, you know. Mm-hmm. And then this is one of the earlier PlayStation 2 titles. Exactly. And, and I remember when this came out, I was like, "Oh, these look like these look like RPG characters with like, you know, the leather and the chains and the really weird Japanese anime style." But then I they, discovered it's a beat 'em up. And I thought, yep. "How interesting." <laughs> they were gunning for they wanted to be make pretty much make the first cinematic beat 'em up mm-hmm. as in a movie. In a game. So the hope was that you were going to get this awesome 3D environment beat-em-up that was kind of free-flow environment because when they were doing all the promotional materials and stuff for it, they were all over the place. Like You couldn't, as a reader of a magazine, you didn't really know what they were gunning for. It sounded like they wanted a fully explorable 3D space with a cinematic element Mm -hmm. and deep narrative. So they introduced all these cool characters, character designs... Um, they would show screenshots of some of the environments you might visit, and yeah. the bar they all worked at. But now, did you um, play the game? I did not, so because this was back when I was more interested in reviews because my money was limited. Yes. So yeah. when this game came out, reviews across the board were kind of on the mid to low side of things, right. which for a Square release, that was pretty bad, because well, Square was top tier back then. Well, let's, let's say like they wanted to innovate the, the genre a little bit so um, in the in a beat em up game sometimes you have like a punch and a kick right mm-hmm. and that's about and, and then in, the, in some other games maybe a way to block or jump and so you got some extra stuff going on in this game they give you uh, buttons to attack high mid and low but mm. to innovate even further because one of the big draws of the PlayStation 2 was the DualShock 2 and that meant that the buttons themselves were also analog which meant that the, the face buttons, the triangle, the square, and the circle, and, and, and the X, um, they, could, they could sense how hard you were pushing those buttons. 
And I don't, I can't think of many other games that use the pressure sensitivity than the bouncer. And so, in playing the bouncer, to each one of those um, uh, high, mid, and low, as hard as you press it was how hard your attack was. There's a like, there's a light hit and a heavy hit. Now you can see why there was a problem. If you're mashing a button, who knows if you're hitting it lightly or hard? <laughs> like you're just like mash, 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 mash. so immediately the combo system breaks down. Like it's it's just very difficult to play. It's very difficult to understand what you're doing, and it's very short. So. And it's unfortunate because yeah. I would wager that a lot of why it became ended up being a short game was again because you were trying to keep it tight for the narrative's perspective. Yeah, yeah, um, and it's a beat 'em up. It's not an RPG. It's meant to be, you know, tight. Exactly tight. You know, brisk, moving along quickly. And um, there were three characters, all of which had different story beats because it was being told from their perspective. Yeah, so they want you to play the same game three times. Yeah, that that, that that's very interesting. But now the music is is fantastic. So, um, uh, Nori, Noriko Matsueda. Um, and uh, Takahito Ich Wow, I am having Iguchi. I need to put these names in front of me next time. <laughs> it makes me think, though, like, um, uh, and I might bring this up at the end of the episode. I, I should say that these are the same composers from Final Fantasy X-2. Um, Noriko Matsueda, who did mainly the more jazzy music from X-2, mm-hmm. um, which, which you can, this track is a perfect blend of their styles, because of that, that piano solo halfway through the song. Is Noriko Matsueda all across the board? Bleep, boop, bleep, boop, yeah, boop. So good. I, I cut you off. What were you saying? Oh, I'm saying like I just like I feel like it's going to definitely lead me into some of the dialogue I want to have at the end of the episode proper. But despite the fact that this game did not take off like it could have, I definitely still give it praise for the fact that they were attempting to move the genre in a different direction to give it more variety than what we were used to. Because yeah. for the most part, they were always essentially games that involved. Punching, special move, jump kicks, yeah. um, and a grab. But uh, so it was nice to see these guys make an attempt at trying to do something different. Um, would I'd be happy to see them try again as Square? Maybe, honestly, if they were willing to take a crack at it. Um, and it was also nice to see them try to use the context-sensitive buttons because, like you said, I they didn't. Not many games did that. And as far as game consoles go in general, they always would come up with this cool gimmick or mechanic that would get used in like three early games. And then they would get dropped for traditional stuff being used throughout the rest of the guests, the console's life. Because um, it's easier to sell that. Well, um, so my next track is, it's going backwards in time, but it's definitely like that evolution of the genre, right? Or at mm-hmm. least as I saw it, um, like from my young perspective uh, playing through these games. This is from Double Dragon Part 2, The Revenge for the NES, uh, composed by Kazunaka Yamane. And this is the track Final Battle Part 2. Part D. Part D.
doesn't this make you want to just get out in the streets and just 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 burn some uh, throw throw some trash cans at, at hooligans? <laughs> no, it I can't. Don't only because it because it puts me in a state where I feel like I'm already at the final scenarios. Like, but I can't just go yeah. out there and be fighting the final struggle. I have to progress. <laughs> I need I need advancement. So um, so Double Dragon Two for the NES. Um, this is the final battle two. And this one is composed by uh, Kazunaka Yamane. Um, and I chose this, first of all, because Final Battle 1 is a classic NES like boss battle music. It's just like like ad nauseum, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then it gets to the battle part two. So this is like, uh, I think, the second form of the last boss. And then it gets, it gets epic. Like this track gets really epic. Like you would hear this music. This almost sounds like level one music, you know? Like it's supposed to get you full in- circle. Yeah, interested in the game. Um, but for me, like Double Dragon Two was so interesting because one, you can you can play story mode as two players with two. Mm-hmm. So first of all, right away you can play as a friend, which meant I played this game a ton with my brother and my my friends in school. Um, uh, the characters were larger; they were closer to how they looked in the arcade. Mm-hmm. Um, There's more platforming, uh, for better or for worse. <laughs> there oh, was definitely for worse. <laughs> definitely for worse. Uh, there were two different play modes, very much to, similar to River City Ransom, where you could actually um, attack. Or accidentally attack your your partner that right. you're playing accident. with. Right, accident by accident, um, and it was just a, a it had a much darker look to it. Um, uh, uh, you could uh, do special moves with different directional uh, uh, inputs, so you could do like a spin kick and all that stuff. Like right away, all of these tools were available to you. So to me, this game was like like it was just the next level of what Double Dragon could be. And, and what only a beat-em-up downside, could be, because there was so much going on in these stages. The only downside for me was that when this came out, this came out the same day as River City Ransom did in the States. Oh, did it? Yep. And I remember because Darnell got Double Dragon 2, and I got River City Ransom. So we took them both home, and it was always a fight to determine which <laughs> game was going to get played, because <laughs> we liked them both, but we both had favors. Like, I preferred River City Ransom. He preferred Double Dragon 2. Mm. And um, we ultimately completed them both because why the heck not? But um, <laughs> what, Now, by which game caused more fights? Oh, River City. Hands <laughs> down. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, the money you could steal from each other. You yeah. fight Vinny and Clyde, accidentally hit somebody, and next thing you know, you're running from screen to screen trying to avoid <sighs> getting hit by your brother while also <laughs> fighting other enemies because he would chase after you. I don't know, man. This this game had that classic NES thing of, like, the screen was only so big, and so, like, if you felt like you were crammed together, like, you couldn't, like, extend the stage further than where your where your uh, your partner was is. It was... I feel it, like you could have scrolled off the screen. Yeah, I think you couldn't scroll. It was very much like a gauntlet in that way. Remember, if you remember classic gauntlet, like, if you were both on opposite ends of the screen, the screen just wouldn't scroll. Mm-hmm. Like, as soon as one person started moving, it would activate the scrolling of, of the level. But if you were both kind of, like, pushing on the edges of that pizza dough, it just wouldn't stretch any further. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm thinking about, like, the, the stretching was one thing going left to right in the wish that you could, but if you were scrolling vertically, you could, like, scroll death a person, I believe. Like, I think you, you could, could yeah. It's very contra that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, that, that caused some fights, let me tell you. Contra? Yeah, as it took so much work to get to those later levels, then if you like scroll the screen up just a little bit further than like your brother, oh yeah, was like ready the waterfall go, stage, you knock him right out. The waterfall level was notorious for that. Oh, we should play that together sometime. Is there like an online like NES emulator? I don't know. I've never checked. Oh, I gotta figure that out. Anyway, um, what's your last track? 
Alright, so we have reached the end of the road on um, evolution, and it's funny because the end of the road didn't really evolve much at all. <laughs> it's, it's pretty much that situation where people wanted what they wanted, it was given to them, and uh, we ended up with this game, no, I mean, Streets of Rage 4. That is like kind of like the, the, the natural progression where like, they're not. It's not a development of a completely new property. It's like let's make a new game based on a property that's known. Like like we're older, let's bring it back. Maybe right. There's oh, kind of market for it. <laughs> well, let's talk about it more once the track is running because there's some dialogue to have we had about this. Uh, yeah, game. Now, I picked the track from this. I'm wondering what you picked. I picked Funky HQ. Uh, not mine. <laughs> from Olivier Derivier. Derivere. I don't know. It's yeah. a name that's spelled interestingly. Yeah, there's a there's a few composers on this on this uh, soundtrack, and they all have kind of a, their own unique style, and I really I really like that. So let's go. So, welcome back. You were just listening to Funky HQ from the game Streets of Rage 4, composed by Olivier Derivier Ray. I'll get that name right Olivier eventually. Olivier Derivier. 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 Yes, Derivier. there we go. Now, 
earlier I made a comment about uh, the more things change, the more you say the same, essentially. But uh, so the idea being that Streets Race Four is probably the most recent beat 'em up release that I can think of right now, um, and is also a very high profile release because. Though other companies and developers have attempted to release beat-em-ups here and there over the last couple of years, Streets of Rage 4, when it got announced, piqued so many interests. Got people ready to go. Like, sales were nuts. Not only just limited run games, but on the digital releases as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, you would question at this point, okay, so given the state of it being Streets of Rage 4, the return of a franchise that has been dormant since the early 90s, what did they change, or how did the, sh- the franchise innovate or evolve? The answer is, it kind of didn't. Um, not in a bad way, just the fact, the idea that it used a number of these same elements that we were already familiar with in the franchise, you know. Um, they did make it so that certain characters performed and played a little differently. For example, Cherry could run, but none of the other characters could run. Mm. Uh, Floyd, who's like the big bruiser... As he had, uh, he could actually grapple. If I remember correctly, grapple two characters instead of one. Whereas oh, that's other, cool. Yeah, two or one. Um, for the most part, though, it, it, aside from like this one element of like a star attack, which was a uh, super special that you could only use by having star items in your inventory, mm-hmm. the gameplay was fairly similar to what we were already familiar with. It was like more of what we loved with a new graphic style done by Lizard Cube. Um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, mm. but I definitely had high hopes in the sense of like, okay, what can we do to innovate this franchise? But I still enjoyed what I did play of it, though I didn't play a ton specifically because while I had access to it through Xbox Game Pass, I ordered it from Limited Run Games and I want to play my purchased copy more, so I'm holding out for that. Um, but I did play to a certain element in the game and then listen to the OST on YouTube, and uh, this track, which I actually did play to this level was one of particular port that I loved. So I wasn't big on the OST as a whole. There's certain elements where I was like, eh, to do with yeah. it. it wasn't bad, but it wasn't great. It wasn't what I was expecting from a Streets of Rage game. But this track, which surprisingly was not done by Yuzo Koshiro, was really hitting for me when yeah. I experienced it in the game. I, I like it. I like it a lot. It's very... um. It's very, like, uh, diverse, like, within the track itself, where... Like it's a little bit faster than what I would expected. Like it's a faster temp, faster tempo. Mm-hmm. Um, the bass drum, like the, the kick drum, like all the techno elements are definitely Streets of Rage ish. But there's that there's that jazzy saxophone bit that that's that the that's in there, and it sounds doesn't sound sampled from something else. It sounds like they put that together themselves, and it reminds me of do you know the artist Mr. Scruffy? No, I've never heard of that one. That's okay. Um, reminds me of Mr. Scruffy. I'll just stop right there. It's very, <laughs> very like hip hop jazzy, um, like UK hip hop jazzy uh, on that side. But like all of the extra synths that come in is very Streets of Rage, but like more close to me, it feels like Konami DDR music, like Soda Fujimori. Um, hmm, uh, DDR I can see style. that. Yeah. And one okay. thing I like about this level, which was kind of cool, and I feel like this might be something that may come up also at the end of the episode when mm-hmm. I think start thinking about like future evolutions of the genre or something. But yeah, uh, like what's I next? like the <laughs> fact that with this stage, um, it was three elements of combat or three parties involved in the combat. It wasn't just you against everyone. It was you, the criminals, and the police. And in this stage, the criminals fought the police and you. The police fought the criminals and you. 
And it was just like a three-way battle. And it was just like, sometimes you could just stand back and let them beat each other up. Other times, they were both coming after you. It's like, oh, crap. And the other times, you were ganging up on the police. Or the, you and the police were ganging up on the criminals. It was like an interesting dynamic for that stage. Maybe like, uh, the, 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 poli- the, <laughs> the political ecosystem of Streets of Rage is shifting from year to year. <laughs> <laughs> like now everybody's out for themselves. Just beat everybody up. <laughs> yeah. The enemy of my enemy is my friend until he's down. They're coming after you. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, anyway, so that, that was, I, I like this pick. This is a really, really good pick from Streets of Rage. But there's a lot of good music in it. Uh, you're right. I wish, I almost wish there was more innovation with the soundtrack. Um, but at the same time, I feel like the artists, the, the, the other artists they brought on outside of the original um, uh, Japanese uh, composers for Streets of Rage are fantastic. They did a great mm-hmm. job. Um, so definitely, if you're interested and you like this music, check out the rest of the game. Um, it's, it's great. It looks great anyway. Um, so we're going to get into the part of our show that's called the bonus round. Bonus round. <laughs> Bonus round. Very disco. I like that. Funky. <laughs> okay, the bonus round is where we play covers and remixes and arrangements and just other mix mismatched oddities um, that fit within our topic, but not quite within you know original video game music. So, Pernell, when you think of the greatest, most innovative beat 'em up of all time, do you think of? <laughs> Amphibians, amphibians from outer space, trained in martial arts, brought no. to Earth to, when to I fight think, mutant rats. When I think of <laughs> games that make me rich, <laughs> I think of that. I, I think Battletoads for the NES is is one of the most innovative and most interesting beat 'em ups created on the system. Although I joke, but I agree with you there. It's, honestly, it's just challenging to enjoy, like the Streets of Rage three music. It's mm-hmm. just. But think of this, Killer Instinct, the newest version of Killer Instinct on Xbox One and PS4, mm-hmm. Season 3 introduced one of the characters from Battletoads, it's playable. And so oh. the music for this character is called Enter the Battletoad, and this is composed by, um, would be composed by David Wise, but this is arranged and composed by Cell Dweller and Atlas Whoa. Plug. So this is some heavy stuff with some really classic nostalgia moments thrown in. I think you're going to enjoy this. So this is Enter the Battletoad from Killer Instinct Season 3.
That was Enter the Battletoad from Killer Instinct Season 3. I think it came out last year, 2019. This was, uh, you know, it's a medley of Battletoads composed by David Wise, but arranged by Cell Dweller and Atlas Plug, known as uh, Tom Salta. So, that was sick, by the way. I just want to point that out. It's so unexpected. Um, yeah, Cell Dweller, a, um, a really interesting heavy metal industrial electronic act. Um, Atlas Plug, I don't know much about. But anyway, this, this track is dedicated to Ed Wilson of the VG Embassy because I know he's into this stuff. Oh, yeah, Cell Dwellers <sighs> is legit. Like, a lot of people who may not listen to him might know of him from the game Dead Rising 2. That's where I first learned oh, okay. his existence. Yeah, he I, did the music for a number of the boss battles. I know at um, least one of them. I know a lot of Cell Dweller from, <coughs> excuse me, from um, uh, Stepmania or uh, ITG uh, custom charts because he's very popular for having like really because he does like a lot of like electronic manipulations. So there's a lot of interesting rhythms usually. Or there's two official tracks of his and Pump It Up too. Oh, are there? Oh, yeah, that's, I've seen that too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he's it's he's a great artist. I, I I don't know if he's still composing under Cell Dweller. I guess he is. Um, but I know he does other things with different aliases. And this is like, for this style, like he uses the name Cell Dweller. So yeah, I'm glad you like it. Yeah, it was very, very cool, very cool. I was just expecting his vocals to kick in. It's like, they never happened. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't put it past them to do that within Killer Instinct, you know, because it's a little over the top and it's, it's supposed to be pretty wild and dark. But, you know, I guess they didn't decide to do it. I and mean, there's, there's no music, there's no lyrics to the original Battletoads um, music, but... There could be. <laughs> Evolution of battle twos. Give him some words. Yeah, let him speak. Let him speak. He would probably, <laughs> they probably sound terrible. You know what I mean? Like, anybody got these zit creep? <laughs> <laughs> like really like nineties, like gross out, like cartoon humor, like Ren and Snippy style. Oh yeah. Yeah. That would be them. I mean, as a guy staring at five boxes of garbage, pill kids, yeah, I would appreciate <laughs> that. All right. What's your bonus round pick? Well, I end up going with, mm, a game I talked about earlier in the episode as it is, um, but I just wanted to bring up this game because I love it so ST, and it, I love it. It's stuck with me for pretty much my entire gaming life. Um, this is the boss battle theme from River City Ransom, done up nice and crystal-like by the band or the artist Nostalgica. It is a gem. Nostalgica? Mm-hmm. Let's take a listen.
<laughs> nice. Hopefully you enjoyed that variation of the boss battle theme from the game River City Ransom done by Nostalgica. Get it? Nostalgica. I got it. I got it. It's a a loop of a track just like the original version is, but I've always been fond of it. I I would enjoy playing the game. You're fighting dudes, and when you kill that last dude, all of a sudden the music shifts, and you know someone's coming out to play. And you gotta hit with a trash can. That's what you do in River City Ransom. Um, but I have, <laughs> I've always loved this track. You do. That's right. So hopefully you guys enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed it, Rob. It's a it's a gem. Oh, I liked um, it. I liked it. And now I want to go ahead and play more River City Ransom. It's funny. I have all these River City Ransom games I've yet to really dive into. Like I'm holding River City Rivals Showdown, which you picked from earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, River City Tokyo Rumble. I have River City Ransom Underground. Um, River City on the Game Boy Advance, <laughs> where they added new moves I'm and new you, shops. People and stuff. can't get enough of beat 'em ups, and people love the Kunio Kun series. Oh, I'm all about them. Yeah, like they're fun. I would. I, it's like one of the few franchises out there where like they can make new games, and people will clamor for them to not change the graphic style at <laughs> all. Like we don't want advancement. We want it to be yeah, exactly as it always was. There is something about that style that I. It's not just nostalgia. It's something. It's. It works. It works really well, and it lends itself to that style of game as well. I concur. Yeah. Well, for more information on the bonus round part of our show, um, including um, uh, links to where you can get to these artists' sound clouds and band camps everywhere else, go to rhythmandpixels.com. You can get to that information. You can support these artists, and you can do good in your community by helping yeah. these people um, like Nostalgica, who's actually in Sweden. So if you're from Sweden, you can help this <laughs> <laughs> In your community. But as we have Swedish listeners, so bam, there you go. There you go. Still counts. All right, thanks for joining us on episode 23-6 of Rhythm and Pixels. This is our look at beat-em-ups, then and now. I, this, a genre, it's, <laughs> this is a genre that has stuck with us. It was one of the earliest genres that we were able to engage in, and it's one that stuck with us through our entire lives. Like, It's a very traditional mm-hmm. format of gameplay that has pretty much never stopped being engaging, despite how simplistic it actually is. Yeah, it's like um, it's like it's very simple to start with, although, I, I mean, technologically, very probably much more complicated. But as it's gone on, it's like they've kept the, the rules very simple, but we've added more and more elements like of story and game mechanics and all sorts of additional things to make these games more interesting. So it's really like evolved and become something that we that is just still really fun to play. But it leaves you to wonder kind of too, hmm. what what's next? I was like, going to ask you that, like our final thoughts, like what's next? What do you want to see? What, or what do you think is going to be next? What's the next big thing? I honestly, excluding VR, because that's usually an easy answer for any of this stuff. <laughs> Open world um, VR. <laughs> I feel like an interesting element of beat em ups would be going back to um, the bouncers concept, where it's more of a narrative. But mm-hmm. by that narrative, I mean the combat in a, in a game could be a little bit more chaotic, in that you could have an opposition coming at you on the screen, large waves of guys like we're used to, but. Uh, Depending on who you attack 
and how you progress in the battle could determine how it goes forward. Like, let's say for there's like four guys amongst the crowd you're fighting, and they're all capable fighters, so not that Dynasty Warriors nonsense where like one guy is a capable fighter and the rest are just like fodder. Right. I mean, everyone's a capable fighter, but there's like four guys in there that matter in the sense that if you beat one guy, another guy will turn on the unit to support you because mm. you took out his rival for him or something yeah. like that. And the progression of the combat can also evolve into like what direction the narrative goes. So you might end up going to a sequence where you like you determine that you want to take out a mob boss yeah. on this side of town like versus you know just going through a series of straight up stages. I could um, see that. I could see that being put together with um, kind of like exploration Metroidvania style mechanics, where um, you're you're following the story of your character, but as you're developing skill sets based on what just what you're finding, that might open up new areas and new parts of the story. You know. I could say it being yeah. pretty awesome, yeah. And so, like, uh, yeah, I see the future being more mashups of genres, you know, like um, probably a beat 'em up with more roguelike elements, with like random stages and enemies, and maybe with a. I would love to see a rhythm game element within a beat 'em up. Oh, that would be cool. You know, we've come close with like rhythm, rhythm, slap happy rhythm busters for the super moves. Even though that was a fighting game, I mm-hmm. mean, you can still take that and borrow it for a beat 'em up. But you can get there. You can probably maybe not so much like Res, where like all of your attacks were always kind of quantized to the same like you know time signature. But like something similar to that would be a lot of fun because it would really like the music of specifically again Streets of Rage. Like the music is such a big part of that. Like that pulsing beat. If you could. If you can marry that and like mix it really well with the sauce of a rhythm game, and then like one, fix them together into like a pizza with pasta on it. I'll give you one interesting thing. That I'm not sure how it would fly because it would be a hard thing to pull off. You could have it so that uh, now all of our controllers are all subconnected, like they're wireless, and you have the headphone jack on each one, usually for communicating with people online. You could have it so that everyone wears a headphone set or a headset connected to their controller. And depending on what character you choose, that determines the OST that you get while you play the game. Uh, and it's a OST, dy- I like that. Mm-hmm. And it adapts based on you doing combos. So let's say you start hitting a guy. It can be one of like 10 tracks that plays for a character. You punch a guy. And once you get into that combo, it's like, dan, 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 it switches up. And all of a sudden, <laughs> like, hit, the, hit the notes to the beat of the sound. And if you do it right, oh, your combo man. will be more powerful. We got we to gotta, we, we cool it on this stuff because Cameron from the Mad Gear is going to want that for his next game. Oh, and, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll have to program that. Not too shit, that'd be a problem. <laughs> but like, I think you're honest on that because that could be a pretty cool thing. The downside, of course, would be that everyone would have their own OST, so you wouldn't be able to just play it off of your television set. Um, also, I can imagine someone that's an onlooker being confused about what the heck's going on, why you're pressing buttons like you are. But it doesn't matter if you're the one experiencing it. It's just like why a guy playing VR looks ridiculous kicking in the air. Yeah, but by, by playing VR, it's like, oh, yeah, this is whatever, the, the Beat Saber. They look great. But then outside of that, it's like, oh, he's just wagging his hands around. Exactly. Oh, um, uh, yeah. I don't know. But it feels good, you know, like DDR. It looks dumb, but it feels good. It feels good. And we're all bad at it, but that's okay. Um, that's part of the fun. That's part of the fun. Um, so, yeah, but anyway, uh, thanks for joining us on the show our look at beat-em-ups, and um, if you'd like to know more about our show... Wait, hold on. I'm so confused. No, if you want to get in... T- <laughs> How do we usually do this? If you want to get in touch with us, if you want to say hello, if you want to say hi, if you want to start a conversation, um, if you have a topic, if you have a song suggestion... Game um, suggestion? Yeah, or if you know any um, single females for Purnell, send us an email. <laughs> Rhythm and pixels at hotmail.com. You just do it. You just do it. You send it to us. 
Um, but not like hot singles in your area, not like that. <laughs> Cripes, no. I'm just, I'm just asking for more spam. Um, and if you'd like for more information about our show, a full track listing from all of our episodes, access to all of our episodes, and all the other fun stuff that we're doing, check out the website. Rhythmandpixels.com You can check us out on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. It's Rhythm and Pixels, all one word, usually. Um, we're not on TikTok yet, but we're going to get there. Um, I don't know what we're going to do there. Gotta work up those smooth moves. We're getting hit in the groin. Yeah, no one's put retro gaming on TikTok yet, so I think we're going to try that. Um, yeah, check us out there. Check us out on YouTube.com slash Rhythm and Pixels. We have a 24-7 radio stream of nothing but 8-bit and 16-bit classics and deep cuts. Um, I've updated the stream with some. So now the backgrounds are all of our uh, all of our funny um, Photoshopped backgrounds from all of our episodes. So it's a lot more <laughs> it's a lot more interesting to, to, to look at, and it's more fun. So... And our faces are all over it now. It, it's it's it, and I've also updated the music. There's a lot more classics on that station. So if you tune in, you're more likely to hear some like Castlevania or Legend of Zelda. So something that you're going to recognize and have a lot of fun listening to while at work. Um, and if you'd like to support the show, you can just share it with people. Tell people about it. Skywrite it. Yeah. Um, you Morse can, code play sessions. Uh, um, a, a edible arrangement of fruit in the shape of Purnell's face. That would be legit. Actually. There you go. It's like um, uh, the ending of that music video, Sledgehammer. <laughs> remember, that's a deep cut. Um, but yeah, or you can go to patreon.com slash rhythm and pixels. And um, as a supporter there at any level, you get access to prequel episodes every week uh, where me and Pernell are sort of just catching up and talking about everything, mainly anything other than video games and, and music. Um, and you also get access to a monthly live stream um, every month where you get to watch us record an episode. Um, you also get uh, some special, um, um, I don't know what it's called, roles on our Discord server. So you get like a special color, which is cool. And um, at the $10 level, you get a special shout out message and your own personal message on the radio stream that goes into rotation. And at the $20 level, you can record your own and put it on the radio stream. So right now we have the last weekend out there um, giving a shout out to, to me and Pernell, and it's really. Have you heard it yet, Pernell? I have not. Uh, we'll pl- I'll play it for you before we go. It's going to be at the top of the show. It's hilarious. It's very funny to me. I enjoy it every time <laughs> I hear it. Um, but we also like to thank all of our um, Patreon members at the end of every episode. Um, thank. I'd like to thank that Nick Walker, the Last Regan, Mike Myers, Sonic Medley, Taco, Harold Howard, Dave Taylor, Reinhardt Selkova, Andreas Milberg, Dan Lauten, Phantom Jest. Steve Miller, The Autistic Gamer 89, Cameron Worma, Christopher Shenstrom, Bobby Arson from One Up Funk, Wicked Sephiroth, Carlos, Kung Fu Carlito from the Heroes 3 podcast, Michael Bridgewater from the Forever Sound Version VGM podcast, and Brian Pitt. So thank you all very, very much for your continued support of the show. Um, we also have many others at the, um, at the $1 uh, support level on patreon and we thank all of you very very much as well you're all extremely good people we talk to you many of you uh regularly um, i concur yeah i see i at this point it's become like a regular thing like it would feel weird to not talk to them yeah and if you and if you hang out on if you come onto the live stream uh, we would chat with you uh live anyway that, that's always a lot of fun too um i think that's not going to be um the end of june it's going to be the first week of july no last week of june it's gonna be last week of June. I think it's. I think we're gonna try July second. That makes uh, sense. Yeah, because I just realized the thirtieth is like a Sunday. So 
Yeah, no, yeah. So it's just it falls on a weird day. I've got, actually got a lot of stuff going on uh, with the house, and we're doing some stuff. So I think that's going to work best for us. July second is going to be our next live stream. It is a Thursday. We start at seven thirty p.m. Eastern Standard Time because we're American centric. That's where we live. <laughs> that's that's where, where we live. It's <laughs> where we live, and we have day jobs. So. Uh, that's it yeah so thanks for joining us um, thank you Pernell for hanging out with me on Skype while I walked my dog for like 30 minutes no problem I ended up booting up Golden Sun Dark Dawn and forgetting oh. what the heck I was doing was that what that was uh huh <laughs> I have a lot of games here that I kind of find myself wanting to boot up and try to play that I never booted up in their early stages like Away Shuffle Dungeon oh, wow. which was a Miss Walker game believe it or not huh. and uh, just I have so many games here that just I could just hole up and try to play all of them and that could take me weeks to even put like two hours into each one. It would be oh. ridiculous. Oh, I'll, I'll text you um, after the show when to come over for dinner. Okay. Does that sound good? That's cool. Oh, oh, oh and we're still recording. Thank you for listening to the show. <laughs> Did you have something else you wanted to mention? I was going to say we need to come up with the live, um, the Patreon top. We should come up with that before the episodes or, or before we before the night's over so we can tell everybody. Yes, we'll, 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 we'll put that out also. That's a good idea. Um, anyway, thanks for listening this far. We really appreciate it. Ramble Damble. My name is Rob Nichols. And I'm Pernell. Have a good week. And remember, keep learning, keep understanding. The world's an ever-changing place. Don't let your mind go stagnant in the process. It ain't worth it. And it's one thing to be able... This actually ties into the topic. Go figure. Um, defensiveness doesn't necessarily have to be with this. If anything... More often than not, it should be with your mind and your words. You should be able to discuss topics verbally, concisely, and clearly without a sense of animosity or just an, in a lack of interest in learning and growing or teaching even. You want to be able to accomplish, accomplish, account for all these things in dialogue exchanges. Because ultimately, with the end of the at the end of the day, you want to be able to come out of a dialogue exchange, either having taught or helped someone else, or having taught and learned, been taught or learned something yourself. Mm. Never stop learning, never stop growing, and be open with your friends, family, Romans, countrymen. You know the deal. Um, <laughs> anyways, have a good night. Mm.